Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Larry Brenner, and I'm 10% fluffy on my father's side. Andy can't be here this week, so we're doing a bonus episode. Whatever we promised you last week, you'll probably get next week. We'll go from there. So last time we did a bonus episode, I covered Disney's The Wuzzles with you. And I may have been just a teeny bit on the snarky side because of my deep, long-standing hatred of the Wuzzles and everything they believe in and stand for, which, you know, may have informed my view here. I don't want to do it that way again with Fluffy Dogs because it feels like punching down. Yes, Fluffy Dogs is terrible, but the Wuzzles had a full season of te television to develop. Whereas Fluffy Dogs aired one evening, never to be seen from again, and it feels a little cruel to resurrect this property and talk about it just to beat it up again. That's what I'm thinking. So the conceit I'd like to take today with Fluffy Dogs is I would like to imagine that my, my representatives have come to me, they say, Larry, Disney is really excited about bringing back their old property, Fluffy Dogs. Could you take a look at it, see if you could come up with a way to make this property, which we all know does not work, work. And I just want to talk a little bit about my philosophy about this, about how somebody develops a pitch. And I'm not going to develop a full pitch here because not worth my time. Disney did not call me for this. But I want to talk about like what you think about when a pitch comes your way, especially if it's a property that you're not particularly passionate about. And one of the things that I know for myself is if I can't get excited about the property that I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm unlikely to actually get this job. I have to want it. I have to care about it. And so I'm looking at a property which initially I feel maybe some reluctance, and I'm trying to say, hey, how can I get myself excited about this property so that when I get into a meeting, I sound enthusiastic and I, I can get, get the people I'm talking to, the executives, the producers excited about it too, because that's the only way I'm going to get it. So this is sort of like approaching a property and building up like your love of it if you don't have it already. And I don't have it already. So let's talk about Fluffy Dogs. You have no idea what Fluffy Dogs are. That is because Fluffy Dogs aired exactly once. Thanksgiving 1986. If instead of watching TV uh, on Thanksgiving, you were doing anything else in 1986, you missed your one and only chance to watch Fluffy Dogs as a property. That was it. Uh, mourn. Mourn for it. I was not among you. If a Disney property aired, no matter what it was, I watched it. So I caught this. So, so just to set the scene a little bit, 1986, we are at the tail end of the Cabbage Patch Kids craze. Uh, Cabbage Patch Kids became really huge in 1982 to the point that there was rioting in stores as people were like pushing each other, injuring each other, trying to get Cabbage Patch dolls for their kids. Pound puppies came out. 
around the same time. So let's let's call this for what it is in 1986. Unfortunately for Disney, the timing's not great. We are about to get over those two things, Cabbage Patch Kids and Parent Puppies, and they're coming out with their own version of a doll toy property called Fluffy Dogs. I'm supposed to, when I watch this cartoon, immediately turn to my parents and say, hey, the holidays are a month away. Could you please go to the store and get me a fluffy dog? At this point, you're probably wondering, what is a fluffy dog? A fluffy dog is a dog that is in a pastel color. Uh, light blue, light green, orange, but pastel, certainly. Fluffy dogs can talk. They can stand upright. They have opposable thumbs. One might posit that they are the missing link between Pluto and Goofy, uh, standing somewhere in the evolutionary scale of what, what uh, a Disney dog is. That's, that's kind of where they are. Although, now that I say it, putting Goofy as the pinnacle of dog evolution, there seems to be something wrong with that. But I said it, and I'll stand by it. There seems to be something magical about Fluppies. At one point during the cartoon show, the boy, Jamie, scratches the head of a fluffy dog, Stanley, and it causes Jamie's bed to go flying. Stanley has never seen this happen before, but says something, something along the lines of, this sometimes happens when we travel to a different world. By the way, they're from an alternate universe. But when we go to one, sometimes our bodies have properties in alternate worlds, and it looks like the property we have on Earth is if you scratch our heads, it causes your bed to go flying and out into having adventures, which is an interesting evolutionary trait. I don't know how that develops generations, but fine, magic. Uh, where does the word fluffy come from in fluffy dog? I, I could not tell you. My best guess is because of the, the flight thing that the bed does. Their fluffy is flying puppy, but then they're flying puppy dogs. So fluffy dogs, whatever. All right. Let's get, I since you have not seen this and you never will and probably never should, tell you the story of the fluffy dogs, which I have watched twice in preparation of this podcast, a Herculean labor. Fluffy Dogs begins in a dark, dystopian world. I'm not kidding. There are these cute little standing upright fluffies. The sky is dark. They're on a desolate mountain. Their backs are against the mountain as they sidestep across. They are scared. There is lightning. But they have to go there because they're looking for an invisible magical portal. And they kind of have a key that opens up the invisible magical portal, turning it into a door. They finally get to the door. And they go through the door. And they're in another world. So th this new world that they enter... Looks pretty, but the, the fluffies go, but we're still not home, which is very sad for them. Then they get chased by what look to be some sort of mutant dinosaur creatures. They run again. They find a portal again. They through, go through the portal and end up in a grocery store on Earth. They run through the grocery store, knocking stuff along. Everybody's like, hey, they're dogs. Although, again... No one ever comments about the fact that they are pastel dogs 
or that they walk on two legs as they run. That is not a comment that people we that apparently is normal. But seeing dogs in a supermarket makes people lose their mind. They uh, go running out of the supermarket, and as coincidence would have it, they run past bazillionaire J.J. Wagstaff, who sees them run by, hears them talk, and immediately recognizes them as fluffy dogs, because he is a mythology buff, and has, of course, read as we all have, I'm sure, the stories and legends of the fluffy dogs. But he is unable to catch them, so they keep running. The dog catchers, however, do catch the fluffy dogs and bring them to the pound. At this point, a young boy's mother goes to the pound to adopt a dog for her son for, I guess, her son's birthday. She Looks at the dogs. The fluffies realize their best chance to escape is for one of them to escape and come back later. She picks Stanley. The inciting incident of this story would probably be either the fluffy dogs arriving on Earth, but more likely, we're supposed to say, Jamie, the young boy, receives Stanley, the blue loyal fluffy, and they become the best of friends. Jamie uh, goes... I want to point out something. When Jamie receives uh, Stanley the Blue Loyal Fluffy, he is disappointed. He wanted a big dog. He didn't want this blue cutesy poo thing, which is interesting from a marketing standpoint. Like, your kids might think they don't want these toys, but trust me, they'll learn to love them over time. Interesting approach there, Disney. Fine. Other thing, here, here, you'll get some snark from me. Jamie wears a baseball cap that is roughly five times the size of the rest of his head. It, it is disproportionate to the size of his body. This is never explained. But, like, I imagine other kids on a hot day walk over towards Jamie and dip under his hat. They don't have to talk to him because there's still plenty of space for social distancing. I'm exaggerating slightly but slightly. The hat is huge. All right, so Stanley being walked by Jamie, he tries to escape Jamie. Jamie goes looking to for, for him, finds an abandoned construction site, decides to start climbing up the building that is in the process of being constructed because he has no survival skills, like none. I mean, he's not even chased up there, Tom and Jerry style. He's like, where's my dog? I bet he's up on this uh, on this shoddy piece of construction. Whatever. Uh, the dog saves his life, reveals himself to be a floppy, and then convinces Jamie to start helping get the other floppies out of the pound. Jamie spends all his money to adopt Tippy, uh, the pink floppy. Mom finds out, and he has to give Tippy the pink fluffy to his, uh, I, I want to say, babysitter slash crush Claire. Uh, but then they go back and they break out all the other fluffies. And generally speaking, Stanley's goal as a fluffy dog is to find his way back home. J.J. Wagstaff is searching the city. He's just driving around looking for these dogs. And this strategy of driving around Manhattan in the hopes of running across five specific dogs 
is a good strategy because he keeps running into them everywhere. And I don't know how he's a bazillionaire if this is what he does with his free time. So we also know J.J. Wagstaff is a bad guy. In his office, he has animals from around the world in the tiniest of cages. But when I say animals from around the world, there's a platypus in one, there's an ostrich in the another, there's a lion, there's, there's a snake. It's crazy. It's crazy. He's a bad pet owner. Uh, but he's a collector, and he wants the fluppies. So Jamie, I'm, I'm going to make this sound maybe more interesting than it is. They keep finding doors to other worlds. The first door they open is full of water, and it causes a flood. We never see that world. The second world they go to, they find there's a door that opens up, and a flumpus comes through, which is a combination hippo slash dinosaur from a world of flumpuses, flumpi. I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I've read so many Dungeons and Dragons monster manuals, and I don't know what this thing is. But half hippo, half dinosaur is the best that I've got. And that comes through. By the way, interesting, interesting point. J.J. Wagstaff, seeing pastel-colored dogs that can talk, instantly wants them because they're rare. He takes no notice of the hippo dinosaur that's traveling with them. He's not interested in who would want that. Is that rare? Everybody's got one of those. Who doesn't have a Philumpus? Whatever. I move forward. I move forward. I don't judge. I am judging, but, but I move forward. So eventually things come to a head when J.J. Wagstaff captures some of the fluppies. Jamie can, is manages to free the fluppies by scratching Stanley's head uh, and causing the dandruff, to, the, the spores, pixie dust, whatever, to come out. It rips part of J.J. Wagstaff's building away, and the building starts flying. The floppies escape. They find the door back to their world, uh, the world of ancient world of floppies. They go through. The Flumpus goes through. J.J. Wagstaff and his assistant Hamish go through. The door closes behind them, in theory never to be seen again. Jamie is sad. He misses his fluppy. But then there's a commotion from the shopping mall, and thousands of fluppies start coming out of the supermarket. And Stanley comes back, and he hugs Jamie, and I, he says, When I told them how cool it was on Earth, everybody wanted to come here. And they hug, and... Maybe I should go out and buy a fluffy dog because now I know why they're here. Origin story. I did not go out and buy a fluffy dog. All right, so that's the story. That's the story. So now it's my job. It's my job to say, hey, how do I make this work? I have no intention of being faithful to the original story. There's no reason to be. The original story aired once and no one liked it. Or, or people, maybe no one liked it is a strong term, but it, it got low ratings. It got low ratings in a time when there were maybe five channels on TV on, on Thanksgiving. It didn't it didn't do well. So no one is expect what so you say first thing you say to yourself when you're constructing a pitch, what about this property is the thing that makes people want to revive it? And a lot of the times the answer is there's a younger fan base that loves it, an older fan base that remembers it with nostalgia and wants it to come back. That's not the case here. 
So if this property were coming to me, the thing that I would say that I can't change is the visuals. These dogs must remain upright cutesy dogs in pastel colors. That's what I've got. And I've got a series. I don't know that I want to keep the names. Their names are Stanley, the blue loyal fluffy, Tippy, the pink loving fluffy, Bink, the yellow shy fluffy, Dink, the red playful puppy, and Ozzy, the green cool fluffy. Those names for me are not amazing. I don't particularly love them. I do know I need to keep the colors because that's part of what I've got here. When you're approaching something like this, you have to find the part of it that you would love and get excited about. And for me, the, the most exciting part of this cartoon was the first 15 seconds. They're in that dark dystopian world uh, everything seems to be life and death. Arguably, the stakes are highest during the exposition than they ever are later on in the series. That the threat in that moment, the dread and despair that the fluppies are feeling uh, is very real. And I guess what it comes down to for me is this. I like cool settings. I like the idea of alternate worlds. I liked it when we saw uh, that dark dystopian world. Then when they went to the mutant dinosaur world, that was cool. But then for like 35 minutes of this hour cartoon, they were on Earth. And I know Earth. And most of the time in a story, we don't want to see people coming to Earth. We want to go other places. So now, now I'm starting to develop my pitch. I like the alternate world reality hopping thing that the Fluppies are doing. Let's not end this cartoon with them getting home. Let's end this that we're on one or two stops along the way of their journey across the multiverse, right? Let's do that. And let's promise that every week in this TV series, we're going to see a cool setting. We're going to take these dogs and we're going to do different things with them each week. Sort of like, do you remember the sci-fi TV show Sliders, where every world we saw an alternate reality? I want that. I want, I want a Fluffy Dogs Disney multiverse. That's what I want. And you know what? If I'm doing that, if I'm doing that, I can still use Jamie the young boy protagonist. But what I would do in the first episode is he would they would come to Earth, shenanigans would happen, that he would end up going through a door with them, ending into an alternate reality. Now not only do the fluppies need to get home, but Jamie needs to get home. You know, in the, in the original cartoon, one of the big problems was the Fluppies are a terrible influence on Jamie. They convince him to cut school. They convince him to lie to his mother. They're constant. He, they, they, they convince him to break and enter a dog pound. They are, they are turning him into a criminal. And that's necessary because of the nature of the story. You, you know, but, but man, what a mixed message. Uh, not even a mixed message. I mean, the message of Fluppy Dogs is it's okay to commit 
crimes as long as you know that it's okay, don't care what the rest of society says, and P.S., keep it a secret from your mother. If a strange dog tells you, don't tell your mother something, listen to the strange extra-dimensional dog. I don't like any of that. But if shenanigans happened and the boy falls into a pocket dimension, I don't have to care whether he's obeying the law. I don't have to worry about him lying to his mother. He didn't lie to his mother. It's just sometimes dimensional shift happens, right? You, you end up in an alternate reality and you got to do what you got to do to get back home. This opens up this. Oh, oh, and this occurs to me. One of the episodes should absolutely be a world in which humans are the dogs and dogs are the humans. And Jamie should have to be their pet. And everybody's like, what a strange looking, your human can talk. We can do a whole Planet of the Apes thing for one episode with the fluffy dogs. And now I'm starting to have fun. I don't know if you can hear the enthusiasm in my voice here, but the ideas start to creep into my head. We can do one where they're in a pirate world, right? We could do that. We could put them in a snowy environment. We can put them, I mean, you want to you want to talk about like, uh, like how Star Wars, every planet that we could hit, we could go to Dagobah, not literal Dagobah, but we could be in a swamp world. We could see interesting things along the way. Now, here's the tricky part of this pitch, because if you're constantly changing settings, how do you develop a supporting cast that's particularly interesting? So it's good that we've got five dogs and Jamie. So that gives us something to play with here. But... The five dogs in the cartoon, Stanley has developed the blue loyal fluffy uh, of all of them, and that's fine, but we need to develop those other four dogs a little bit more, give them a little bit of personality. One of the things I'm thinking is I need one of them to be the heavy of the group. And when I mean the heavy, I mean sort of the anti-hero, so, so, sort of like doesn't get along with the others, maybe doesn't like Jamie. I'm thinking of, you know, that Disney grumpy model. Uh, Disney often has that sort of grumpy character who doesn't trust the protagonist, literally grumpy in Snow White, gruffy gummy in gummy bears. Uh, that rabbit from Winnie the Pooh is, is always wary of Tigger, that sort of thing. I want some sort of interpersonal dynamics happening within this group, because if the setting is constantly changing, the thing that's going to, to pull me through in sort of serialized television is watching those relationships develop over time. We probably want to establish some sort of romance between a couple of the floppies. It doesn't need to be a big romance. I'm not, I'm not talking like something that will make the furry base happy, but I'm talking like, you know, the idea that one floppy hasn't figured out how to express their feelings to another floppy. That that sort of thing. We want to we want to make as much seen as much potential, and this is for children, mild conflict among the group, so that when we get from situation to situation, we can put like we can pair characters together and see what comes out and get interesting interactions between them. The other problem with my sliders pitch is an antagonist issue. Because obviously, if we're going from world to world, it's very easy to start feeling like the antagonists uh, are easily disposed of because you just leave the world. 
One thing I want to throw out here, a way possibly of doing this, is the fluffies are being pursued. There is an extra-dimensional thing following them. Maybe, maybe the whole reason the fluffies went on this journey away from their homeworld was in the hopes of finding something that could defeat this evil force that seems to pursue them. They've been luring it away. Uh, maybe that's why they can't return Jamie to Earth, because if they return Jamie to Earth, they, they're just leading that evil back to Earth, and maybe he'll stay there. That's no good. They have to keep going. They're on a quest. Yes, let's make this not we're just going random world to random world. There's a quest, but there's also an antagonist force that's pursuing them. Sometimes that antagonist force might recruit from the world that they're in. In fact, now that I think of it, that's exactly what I want to have happen. And some of these worlds, our bad guy picks up other bad guys to be his henchmen. And we're building up like this weird assortment of things from various different worlds. And that builds up our supporting cast too. Oh my gosh, this is becoming so much fun. This is becoming so much fun. The other thing that this lets us do, this alternate world thing is, goes back to what Stanley said at the beginning of, of the actual show, which is like, sometimes on different worlds, we have different powers. That's something we can play with if we actually go to different worlds. And every time they go to a different world, they discover they have a different power. So sometimes they're on a world and they're, I don't know, they're bouncy like the gummy bears, bouncing here and there and everywhere. And other times they can fly. And other times, you know, they can they can sh shift shape. We could play with that. And maybe one episode, they're like, hey, we can all look like Jamie. Uh, maybe they can swap. We can do a body swap episode, right, where they all switch minds because that's their, they're all telepathic this time. We can have fun every episode, play with a different power set, different environment, add new characters to our journey along the way, moving towards a story. And I think, I think at this point, I've got a workable engine that I could sell, I could go into a meeting and be enthusiastic about the fluffy dogs. One thing you'll notice that I'm not saying, and I'm thinking about it, and it's so tempting to me, but it's the wrong answer, is how cool would it be if the fluffy dogs traveled from established Disney World to established Disney World? So the fluffies traveled to Neverland, to Wonderland, to the Evil Queen's Magic Kingdom. That is a mistake. It's a mistake because there are underlying rights for all of those properties. Different producers and creators helped to make those properties. Um, some of those properties are not outright owned by Disney. That's why you don't see a lot of Tarzan stuff anymore. You don't, you don't want this to be, it becomes expensive to use all of those worlds. And Frank, so, so while I'm tempted to do that, because, because that's my jam, mixing up and matching worlds, Kingdom Hearts style, I love that. I'm not going to pitch that here because what my producers are, are going to think is like this property, which was a gamble to begin with, just became infinitely more expensive uh, and is just not cost effective. It'll be it'll be my worlds. I'll just keep making new ones and we'll go from there. And I think that's how I would develop this as a pitch. So that being said.
Have I reawakened your love of fluffy dogs, this show that you, you never knew existed? I, I don't think I have, but I'm hoping this was like a useful insight into a process you could use if some material ever came your way and your first thought was like, eh, I don't want to touch that, right? Just find the part of the pitch that is fun for you and build it around that. Here's the other thing. I might go into them with this pitch, and this might not be what they wanted. This might not even be close to what they wanted. They may not even know what they want, but it's a big swing pitch. And generally speaking, I push people to do big swing pitches because even if they don't like what you came up with, they will remember you as someone who thought outside the box and came up with something that they weren't expecting. And when they have other properties and they don't necessarily know what to do with it, they'll be like, hey, that person's mind looks a little, works a little differently. Let's see what crazy thing they come up with. And I think, I think that's an approach that works very well for me. It's not the only approach. It's not the only process. It's not even necessarily the right way to do this, but it's my way. And it's my way in. All right. So that, I think, is about all I can give the fluffy dogs at this time. It's, it's a bonus episode. Uh, but please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. Tweet us uh, on Twitter. Andy is at Andy Redwine. I'm at Larry Brenner Six. Or you can drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. And hopefully it'll be a long time before you hear another bonus episode from me. You might get one that's just from Andy. But do you have ideas of stuff that you'd like me to cover or Andy to cover in a bonus episode? Let us know. That would be great. Next week. I don't know what we're doing, but I'm sure it's great. I, I really like our podcast, so please tune in. And until next time, friends, see you real soon. Bye.